How's it going, everybody? This is Conscious Bodybuilding Podcast. The episode number is 27, I think, or 28. I don't know. We're on one of those numbers. Um, so today we have Shimmy and Trevor back on. And today we are going to be talking about uh, training age and how that relates to exercise selection, how that relates to the stimulus to fatigue ratio. So to first get into the topic, I wanted to ask you guys, um, how you two go about determining training age, say someone comes to you, um, and you know, they, they, a lot of the time, like, and, and for example, I might ask somebody what they think their training age is or how long they've been training for but that isn't actually their training age. Right. Um, what are some of the factors that you use to determine someone's training age, uh, and how to program appropriately for them? Jimmy, you want to go? Yeah, I can go first. So, um, like you, Dylan, I'll usually always ask someone how many years they've been training. But to be very honest with you, um, whatever answer they give, like it will be very apparent in the way that they communicate and in the way that they send me their training footage. So once I can see their technique, um, I'll kind of have an idea. That's one. Obviously, also from a, from like looking at them, if they're decently strong, like. I haven't come across people who are super duper strong that have been training for a year or two. I know they're out there. I haven't come across them. So that really hasn't been um, a thing for me. But in reality, I end up wiping the slate clean with majority of people that I end up helping or working with. So whatever their training age is, at least initially, is somewhat irrelevant. And I think that this happens with a lot of people that are taking on clients because at the end of the day, like you're starting their volume from scratch. You're reworking their technique on a lot of movements. So maybe I could determine training age with uh, how much pushback they give. If someone's been training for a long time, typically you experience more pushback than somebody who's been training for less time. It's a weird, like sideways way of thinking about it, but that's, that's what I've experienced. Pushback right. in, in the sense that they uh, like, have a sense of like i know what i'm doing or or yeah i mean you guys have both had the conversation before where it's like hey man why don't you change your technique on the squat it's like why but i like doing it this way and i can squat four plates and it's like okay that, that's cool but yeah you ask me right or you would be doing it yourself <laughs> yeah fair enough trevor you were gonna add to that uh yeah so uh agree with shimmy on the fact that like at, at some point it I'm not sure how much it matters when you first start working with somebody, but it's definitely a good metric to have because it, it helps give you some insight into uh, where you need to take things. So obviously, again, we all do ask how long someone's been training uh, and you, you can review their technique. And a lot of times that does give you a lot of insight into it. But uh, my kind of quick and dirty assessment is your training age is based largely on the amount of effort it takes to get progress. Uh, as a beginner, you don't need a lot of effort to get progress. You can kind of do anything. Your diet doesn't need to be 100% on point. Your uh, sleep doesn't need to be 100% on point. Your training doesn't need to be 100% on point. Uh, as you become more intermediate, those things pick up a little bit. You need to be more, you know, like 80% with diet, 80% with sleep, with training, things like that. And at, a, at an advanced training age, you're just not going to see any progress unless you're ticking every one of those boxes. So that's kind of my quick and dirty assessment of to figure out someone's training age is how precise they are with everything and how precise they need to be to continue to make progress. Fair enough. I have a few, I have a few things to push back with you there on what you just said. Um, sure. Not that anything that you said was wrong. Like, I agree with you, of course. Um, but for example, on the last thing that you said, um, how meticulous they are with tracking, there are people that are advanced that don't track. It's totally a thing. There's yes. of course a select group of us where we're, we're narcs, but there's a lot of other people who have been training for a long time and they don't track. Right. That's true. Right. But if you take somebody who doesn't track diet, they likely eat the same thing every day. So that kind of turns into a wash. And if you take someone who never tracks their training and it just goes by feel, then simply by adding tracking to their training, they're going to make much more progress in a very quick period of time. So oh, I, sure. I would determine that as an intermediate. You would, even if they've been training for 10 years. Yeah. Let's say. Because maybe they've been fucking around for five years and haven't actually progressed load and free. Mm -hmm. 
because they've okay. just every yeah. single week they've done something different and so it's like well, what do you bench oh well you know every every time i've benched in the last three years i've worked up to you know 275 and that's the most i've done yeah that's fair yeah yeah that's fair i guess At um, and, level then, and then yeah and then in the other the other thing that you mentioned about um how much effort it takes them uh to make progress I would agree with that, but that also takes time for you to learn on your part, unless you're saying when you're having a conversation with them and you're like, oh, you've been lifting for 10 years, but you squat 225. Maybe, yeah. it's, you know what I mean? But maybe it's that. Um, and obviously you're saying that, that their technique under that that uh, context is already decent. I'm not going to say it's amazing, but it, it's decent. Yeah, I at least already know what their technique is. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, I think I'm I'm dragging a little bit on this topic just because I largely don't care. You know what I mean? Like, day, like, yeah. like, I feel like it's one of these things and granted, I, I will not go on this rant unless you want me to, but uh, Dylan, but um, I think that so many coaches have so many stupid, irrelevant questions in their questionnaire and their onboarding process. Uh, and I've spoken to people on Instagram where they've DM me and we've kind of like briefly chatted about this that are just so useless. And when it comes to training age, it's like, I, I don't even know how useful it is. You know, at the end of the day, like we want to get better and there's tools that we can give you to get better and whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Yeah. Again, I think it's just, it gives us insight into perhaps how things are going to go in the next three months. Wait, so I have their, their Zodiac sign on their questionnaire. Do you think I should take that off? Clearly that's, that's a necessity. Yeah. I program based on, their biorhythm related to the moon cycle and their zodiac sign dude it's very important yeah. okay because once you know somebody's zodiac sign you know exactly how they're going to communicate you know exactly yeah. how they are and um it's important. to make adjustments based on the horoscope yeah i love that okay good you, when mercury's in retrograde um, no so what i was going to say is that um i think that it's also a multi it's a multifactorial assessment and does it matter what you label a client as no, I think in, in the back of my head, I'm kind of like, okay, I think this person's around intermediate. It's not like I'm going to make adjustments based on my assessment of them of being an intermediate. Like I'm only going to stick to that. Like there's different things that need to be adjusted. Uh, and, and it's definitely like a spectrum uh, based on a lot of, of inputs, right? But I do agree with Trevor. Obviously, their, their, their age in the gym, and I think you mentioned this too, Shimmy, their age in the gym doesn't necessarily equate to their actual training age. So a lot of people, I think, miss... Uh, misdi or I don't know diagnose is the right term, but they basically say I'm an advanced trainee because I'm training for ten years, but then they have not great technique. They haven't been tracking their food, yada yada yada. They may end up being a, a beginner or intermediate in terms of how they need to be programmed for and and um, their progress as well. I guess that's just my two cents on that. Yeah, but really, like in practice, you know, have you guys actually seen that? You know, like. If someone is coming to you for online coaching, they're they're generally not you know the normal bear, if you will. Yeah, right? they, they already think about stuff somewhat. So you know if they're Most coming hard. to you, like maybe their tracking is not you know what it needs to be, but they have been training hard for six or seven years, and they're natural. Let's just say that. Um, you know, once you get their stuff in line, is it like fountain of youth all over again, or is it just oh now you're making just you know, I don't know, 10% more progress than you would have otherwise. No, I've actually seen that. I've, I've had clients come to me that have trained for five, six years. And I mean, put on, you know, in six months, they put on 10 pounds of muscle, their technique improves, their lifts go up 20% with better technique. Uh, and it's because while they were training hard, they weren't actually training hard. They were training what they thought was hard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. more, more just, I, I think it depends on the individual too. Cause I think you could have yeah, someone who comes to you, hasn't been doing any of that. You change it. Maybe there's an initial novelty effect and then it, it tapers off. Yeah, um, totally. It's, I mean, there's, there's no like one size fits all. Like there's individualization. That's a whole part of this is we have to individualize for the individual person we're working with. And so in the end, that's why, what someone's you know what we would classify them in doesn't matter as much because we start with a baseline and adjust from there yeah mm -hmm. and and uh, the, the overarching reason why i asked this question is because we wanted to talk a little bit about 
how this relates to uh, exercise selection and and biasing the stimulus side. I believe that's correct. Biasing the stimulus side while um, picking exercises that are very stimulative, but also very, very low in fatigue. Um, Trevor, you've seen this a lot. Uh, maybe you can explain this uh phenomenon that you see so it'd be maybe. backwards uh and oh, so you'll see this a lot on, on social media where people are so hyper focused on fatigue yeah, yeah. Sorry, that sorry. they don't think about the stimulus that they're getting and so you'll see this as ways like uh somebody's like oh well i don't want to do uh a barbell row or a dumbbell row because that's really fatiguing so instead i'm going to do a cable row or there's any number of other things you see that as you'll see it as I don't want to do a barbell press. I want to do a, a machine press or a cable press or whatever, or the big one. And I'm sure somebody we're going to get YouTube comment on this is um, that, you know, they don't want to do pull-ups, but they want to do some special angle lat pull down or lat row or something like that. And they're, they're so focused on like, being like a low fatiguing exercise that they're also picking relatively low stimulus exercises. And so the total amount of work they have to do to just achieve the same stimulus is a lot more. And half the time it just cancels each other out. Dude, I have um, an interesting point of view on this actually, that I didn't voice before. Tell me what you think of okay. it. Do you think that a lot of people run from these exercises as a means of masking the fact that they're bad at them yes. and that they're weak. Yes. So they mask the fact that they don't do these compound movements by covering themselves in variation and new angles and new positions and stuff like that. And then justifying their poor performance on pull-ups or bench press or whatever the case as either saying, oh, I did all those other movements beforehand, so I'm tired. Or, oh, um, you know, those don't really work for me, so therefore I go to these other things. When in reality, you know, maybe they just need to face the music that they're just not going to be that big, not going to be that strong, or, or just accept the fact that these things are too hard and they just don't want to do them, and owning that. I think that's a big part of it, personally. I, I think that's a very large part of it is they don't want to take the time to learn how to do it. They don't want to take the time to get strong. They want to take the thing that's easy to do, which there's nothing wrong with that, but it just like, if you're saying like, Oh, I want to get big. Well, there is, there is something wrong with it when you're lying. Yeah, there is exactly. something wrong that's, with that's it. What there, I'm there is something, there is something wrong with it when you're trying to uh, justify variation as a means of you being weak. That, that's what I'm getting at. It, that is, that is it's a, problem, it's a yeah. problem if you're using it, if you're you're saying one thing and doing something else your your goals and your actions aren't aligning that's when it's a problem if you're yeah. like i just want to go to the gym have fun like do whatever you want to do nobody cares yeah i mean so, I, I think that this i think this is also routed from like typical bodybuilder programming which is you know six rows and three vertical pulling exercises in a back workout yeah. right um you know so it comes from that when in reality you'd be better off with one barbell row, one pull down in that whole session and trade back again three days later. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So when, when someone's making this assessment, um, why, why like, how do I word this? So we, we generally have the idea that advanced trainees may need to do more of this, right? Yes. How, how would someone go about assessing uh, whether or not the exercises are appropriate for them. Like, uh, how, how would you determine, you know, you might need more, um, for example, to do more deadlifts as opposed to like, uh, I don't know, uh, a back extension or something like that isolated. Sure. So, I mean, of course, number one needs analysis is huge, right? So, um, if you know, right, that you need to bring up your back or your, your spine, then obviously you, you you know, you move accordingly, deadlift, back extension, or whatever. Um, I think it is commiserate with uh, if it gives you any pain. So if you have no joint pain or no niggles or issues like that, um, then that could be useful in saying that this might be an exercise for you. Um, obviously, if it causes disruption and soreness and growth, um, then this might be an exercise for you. And I think also you have to give it time. 
and a fair bit of time and a fair bit of time doing it when it doesn't feel that great because these things don't always feel that great, right? Like everybody says we can keep using deadlifts. Like, oh, deadlifts are fun. Deadlifts are awesome. Well, sometimes they're not. No, okay, fine. I'm the, I like them. So that's just me, okay? No, so, I mean, they're, they're great and all, but they hurt. Sure. They don't feel but, good. Sure. But the point is, is that, okay, so let's say on the supposition that like someone likes them. Great. But like, they don't always feel good. Sometimes they feel horrible. A lot of times they feel really horrible. But just because they feel horrible and make you feel horrible, that means they could still be good. Yeah, you know? it could still be a great exercise. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think uh, for me, it would be if the exercise in question is giving me problems in areas that I'm not trying to target, i.e., I don't know, big bicep pump on a barbell row, shoulder strain on a bench press, like, then, then that's data. Um, and another one that you may not have considered, and it's very real time in the session. Oh my God. It's, yes. When you're not that strong and you're not that big, four or five sets of deficit barbell rowing realistically might take 30 minutes. But when you are to even do two to three sets, this, this might take 45 minutes to do right yeah. with warm ups, potentiation and, you know, this, all of that. Um, do you want to spend that time? Are you training twice a day? You know, are you a barbell rowing champion or are you here to train your whole body? We just keep using barbell rows as an example, but, you know, insert whatever you want. Deadlift, stiff-legged yeah. deadlift, hack squat, insert whatever you want. Um, and I think the individual in question has to make that trade-off. Yeah. Uh, so uh, some things I use and I like – I'll use myself as, as an example here. Uh, I, I I say that deadlift. I hate deadlifts. They suck. I actually love deadlifts. They're fun, but they just hurt really bad. Sure. Uh, but I, I just, just want to throw in. Go ahead. Throw in your 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 technique on deadlifts. Like every time I see it, I'm like, holy shit! Like I aspire <laughs> to that. Um, see, like, well, like, and I do stiff like a deadlifts now, and they, I mean, they still rock me, but I can I can manage, and what what. The big thing that I can manage is... By the way, Trevor, he's only saying that because I stopped posting stiff-legged deadlift videos, so he hasn't really seen mine in a while, so that's why he's complimenting yours. You know the weirdest technique? You're like a duck. Your heels... Yeah, I know. My feet... I don't know why my feet are narrow, and I... Every time I see it, I'm like, why why do his feet touch? I know. I don't even do them anymore. Now I only do them off a deficit, like, standing on something. Yeah, well, I mean, same here, but... Anyway, uh, when I did actual, like, conventional deadlifts... I when I got to the point I had to stop doing conventional deadlifts, I was doing like 475 for sets of 10. Like slow eccentrics, light touch, all that stuff. I love doing them and they were great. But the problem was is a three sets took me damn near an hour. B, I couldn't do anything else after. I couldn't squat. Maybe I could get on a leg extension and maybe do like two sets maybe. if I had any like mental capacity left to do that with. And then the last one is that lingered for days after. That level of fatigue, that the, the mental fatigue where I felt like I had no neural drive, just picking up a weight that would normally be fine felt 20 pounds heavier would last two to three days afterwards. So it wasn't just affecting the one session, but it was affecting half a week of training. That's when deadlifts are too fatiguing to do. Unless I'm trying to specialize in the deadlift. If I'm trying to train for hypertrophy, that wasn't the goal anymore. That wasn't the the best tool for the job anymore because it limited training, not just a couple of things, but literally half of my body. So paying attention to how much an exercise, like how much fatigue an exercise causes would be a way in which we determine potentially um, should we include that exercise or not. Yes. Let's say how much, how much impact the exercise has over the rest On of the workout, exactly. the rest yeah, of yeah. the week. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that's, that, that's that the big thing. Huge. You, you have to look at, you know, if you're like, oh, I'm not doing uh, barbell rows because they're too fatiguing. But you can do barbell rows and then you can do pull downs and then you can do biceps. And then the next day you can come in and you can train chest or you can train quads. Barbell rows aren't too fatiguing. You just don't want to do them. And that's that's what it is. I mean, 
if there's another exercise you want to do better, you want to do because you enjoy it more, okay. But, you know, if you are simply avoiding them because, I don't know, you they're hard. You know, and, and that's not to say that everyone's going to get the best stimulus from a barbell row, but I don't know. I've never actually talked to anybody who has gotten a equal whole back stimulus they get on a barbell row from a cable row, at least on a set to set basis. Mm-hmm. And and on the counter, and also and, and also oh, yeah. and and this oh sorry Dylan no 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 go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, and also, I don't think that this can be understated, although this might, this might be a separate topic, is if you find that an exercise it used to be great, and now it's not great anymore, I mean, pre-exhausting or putting it as a second or third movement is always a great option, yeah. but never, but never, but never jumping to that without trying it first, right? Yeah. So never, never just haphazardly doing a pullover before a pull-up or doing a leg extension or leg press before a Smith machine squat or something, right? It's like riding that out for as long as you can and then getting into a pre-exhaust or, or something like Fair that. Right, so there's no need to immediately just throw out a movement. Um, number one, in general, because you might be able to find, like there's data when a movement works for like majority of people that's enough of a sample size where if it's not working for you, you need to really think why, why Great isn't point. it working and try Great. to make it, make it work. Right. Um, you don't need to be married to any exercises, but like, guys, let's just keep it real. Right. When it comes to bodybuilding stuff, dude, there's like 20 exercises that are like the ones. Yeah. You can schmig and like wiggle around and figure anything out. But you know, chances are that's, that's probably like what it is. 25 exercises. Um, so if it's not going to work for you at face value, like dig deeper. Um, I know this is a side point, but I wanted to just have that. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. The, the counter to that, if we're under stimulating, we're not getting any decrements in performance. Uh, we may not be even getting sore after the session. Uh, what would there be other things we consider? Like, are we doing like maybe doing a ton of volume to try to get, uh, even some sort of, of stimulus, like. What does it look like when we're understimulating and maybe picking too many of these um, very, very low fatiguing exercises? Yeah. So you know, we'll use continue to use back as an example. Uh, you know, someone maybe does uh, a pull down, and then they do some kind of a high angle pull down, high row, and then they do a lat row, and then they do a upper back row and you know then they'll throw in like uh so they'll they'll do the whole like oh elbows here row elbows here row and then elbows tight in row so they can hit all the areas of the back and you know they have their you know pull down here to hit the you know back and the pull down here and like at an angle here and then you know they'll do maybe some like back extensions because they need some erector work because they haven't done any erector work and so now they're doing like eight exercises because they are trying to hit like every angle of the back and it, it kind of like Jimmy said it's a lot, a lot like you know the the old bodybuilding magazines you have to hit every angle of the chest you do incline decline flat fly and press every single workout those workouts yeah same we, we all did we all did yeah we're we've been around long enough. We remember when mag bodybuilding magazines were a thing for uh, Instagram and the internet uh, took over. Stack right by my foot right now. But yeah. uh, you know that's what that's what you'll find, and you'll see it with you know every single muscle group. It's like they're doing, you know, four different variations of a tricep exercise, or they have, you know, six variations for a chest exercise because they're trying to you know hit all these different you know short position long position and everything i'm like man i get it but maybe you could just do like a barbell or a dumbbell press or maybe you could just do a skull crusher you know do you mean anything you want to add to that yeah whenever i see people doing that i just realize they don't know how to lift weights uh, yeah essentially yeah it's, it's really really that's <laughs> when you when you have to start seeking out multiple exercises like more than two or three for a body part in a session, either 
you don't know how to produce effort or you don't know how to lift weights or some combination of the two. And usually it's a matrimony of that because if you knew how to produce effort, you wouldn't have to seek out more exercises. Yeah. 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 It's kind of multi. Yeah. And again, I think that goes back to like this thing where it's like that effort is so fatiguing. They want to find things that are easy to do. Yeah. But the, yeah. because they don't yeah. like it, they don't want to feel that fatigue. But, but that fatigue is where the stimulus is. Stimulus causes fatigue. Right. Well, it's also really boring when you oh, yeah. when you it's really true. learn how to stimulate stuff. You know, when you're really thinking about every single rep, and maybe you're doing pauses and stuff, and you're going very close to failure. It's very boring, and it's very hard, and it's very soul sucking, and it takes a long time, and that's not exciting. Unfortunately, but going from one exercise to the other and when Mark and Jack and Jennifer talk to you in the gym and say, oh, what's your workout? And you say, ah, I'm going to this neutral grip, push down, get nasty pump. Then I'm going to this cable fly, going to really work the pecs out. Then I'm going to do some pushups, you know, stretch it, burn it out. This sounds nice. But when you say... I'm just going to do some camber bar benching. Then I'm going to do cable crossovers. Then I'm going to just die. Yeah. People say, what do you mean? What about the rest of the workout? And then you go, yo, 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 yo. That's, that's, that is the workout. Yeah. That is yeah. the workout. Yeah. I've, I've gotten those questions before. Like when someone sees my workout, I was like, why is it only two or three exercises? Yeah. I'm like, trust me. If you do those correct, do those exercises right. It's all you need. Yeah, I mean, my one of my leg workouts this mesocycle has been seated leg curls, hack squats, lunges. I can barely walk afterwards. Yeah. And I sit in my car for 30 minutes and com- contemplate my life before I feel safe enough to drive. I'll tell you, that's not such a hard sell when it comes to leg movements because, and we've talked about this previously, when people watch myself, you, Dylan, and the small band of us train legs. It's so different to what anybody else does that it makes sense that we're dying, but that's a harder sell in upper body movements to just say, Oh, "Oh, I'm only doing incline dumbbell curls and a standing easy bar curl. And that's all I'm doing for biceps. And people say, what do you mean? And I, to them, they say, because with biceps, you're not, you're not dying, right? You're not putting the bar down and saying, oh, and like you're laying on the floor or anything like that. You have a big pump and maybe you're going to grimace and grab your arm. That's that's as far yeah. as it goes. And then in you know, five biceps, minutes, you're doing fine. Sure, but you know what I mean? It goes away. So that's a harder sell to say, yeah, I have a pump and when I fall out of the rep range, then it's good night for me. And then I train them three days later and that's how it goes. You know, that's yeah. a much harder sell than when someone sees you do a full range of motion pause squat that takes four seconds in each rep total. And they say, oh, yeah, that that looks hard. That makes sense why you're doing that and leg press and then leaving. Yeah, I think also a lot of the time it's really difficult when selling someone on this, but also like getting them to try it. You know, like you you probably both have had those clients where they're like, you know, they come to you, they train completely different, and then you just tweak a couple of things. And they're like, oh, my God, I've never felt like this from a couple sets of curls and this low of volume. And, and that's always really cool. But it's, you know, they have to have tried it to really know, you know, they've been doing something else for years. Mm-hmm. Rich Piana, eight-hour arm workout, baby. Mm-hmm. I did that. <laughs> um, oh, one thing, I guess... I see on the other side, the other extreme, is that people chase these movements that are very fatiguing. Obviously, also proportionately, they may be more stimulative, but um, they build a, a, you know, a large majority of their workouts around these lifts because maybe there's there's probably a number of reasons, but maybe they think that these lifts are some sort of magic they put on mass, you know, or they're just the you know you have to do these lifts. If you want to be a hardcore bodybuilder, um, have either of you seen that? I know I see it a lot. And what are some of the issues we can run into there? Yeah, I think it really simply can be boiled down to weight chasing and parroting. 
I think it's simply that usually the exercises that you're talking about, correct me if I'm wrong, but rack pulls, partial range of motion, leg press, um, the hammer strength, incline, plate loaded machine that goes five plates or six plates aside. The partial range of motion barbell row, right? These are the kind of movements you have in mind or no? Shrugs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Rack pulls are a great example of that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's some combination of one is not more important than the other, but some combination of parroting because their biggest bodybuilder who they look up to did it. And because they have a mismanagement of their goals where they want to be bodybuilders, but they want to be strong like a powerlifter, but they don't want to do a squat bench and deadlift to the level that a powerlifter does, or maybe not even at all. So they find ways to express themselves through a barbell or through a dumbbell to get their rocks off. And this is seemingly the way that they do it. And it's always so comical because they'll go do a, a rack pull with seven plates aside and then they'll say, oh, yeah, but now i got to go get a stretch. And you'll see a big bodybuilder do a pullover with half the stack. And you'll say, what happened? What, what happened? You were doing all that weight over there, and now you're trying to finesse. I don't really understand what's going on. I I do agree with Shimmy that a lot of that does come down to just weight chasing, things like that. Uh, I think some of it is just the mentality of, you know, the more hardcore bodybuilders uh this if i don't feel beat down burned into the ground i didn't do enough uh and that mentality i mean wrestlers have that mentality if you guys are ever around wrestlers is if they are not just beat down bloody into the floor they didn't work hard enough um but they have the opposite problem where they're so worried about having the most fatiguing exercises. They're actually foregoing stimulus. Yeah. So it's this like mismatch where beginners who should be like choosing probably, you know, maybe more fatiguing exercise, they shouldn't be worried so much about their fatigue level because, you know, if you're a beginner, how fatigued can you get where the, advanced guys they need to be worried more about like the stimulus level because you know if you're strong enough you know yes even if you're doing you know partial range of motion you know exercises like you can bury yourself and not be able to actually get any stimulative or enough stimulative work done so they they need to be trying to figure out how to drive the most stimulus they can without running into their fatigue wall yeah. yeah, and I think that really that just goes into these guys need to learn how to lift weights. Yeah, because as, mean, you said, clean as you said, if it, yeah, exactly. Because you say if people are looking to bury themselves, look, we all bury ourselves on a daily basis. And yeah. I'm not chasing load like that. Granted, I, I'm chasing load within the confines of perfect technique and effort. Yeah. And it's all tracked and sure. But um if one needs to load so much weight on a bar to bury themselves, it is a clear definition that they do not know how to lift weights. Right. Yeah. I, one thing it's I want to clear. One, one thing I want to throw out there that I think maybe this relates to it. Maybe it doesn't, but a lot of that JP crowd that we've mentioned before who do actually like track lifts. Um, I think they sometimes get caught up in this. And one thing I see that's really interesting is they, they do track their lifts but they do this kind of like skirt around where they'll be picking super fatiguing exercises and then they stop progressing on a lift and then they change exercises. Yeah. And I'm like, so you didn't progress, like you stopped progressing, like you, but you're masking that by picking a different exercise, right? You're, you're so fatigued that you can no longer pro progress on this exercise. Um, and you know, you're maybe even pro not losing progression across your, your, your training altogether, but you just start rotating movements in order to mask the fact that um, that that you're no longer creating overload, really, yeah, or uh, able to. At that's that's, uh, I see. that's literally like uh, OG West Side conjugate <laughs> training. Yeah, um, where it's like, did you get stronger? You literally have done a different exercise every single week, every single session, just so you can say I hit a PR. 
Yeah. 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 I think masking, yeah, masking performance with variation is a very real thing. Yeah. So, so real progress is, you know, obviously picking a number of lifts and trying to progress them over time and only rotating those out when it's appropriate. Like Shimmy mentioned earlier, it's causing pain. And yeah, causing can, pain. Yeah. And that, that's a big thing. I think suffer from this. I think one thing that, uh, like just to throw it out there, fatigue isn't just like, like in this context, we're talking a lot about fatigue as in like neural fatigue, uh, losing ability to express force production, things like that. But we can also classify joint disruption as fatigue. Mm-hmm. If it's if my joints are hurting from doing an exercise and I can't adjust my technique, then I'm not going to keep doing that exercise. I don't care how stimulative or fatiguing it is because eventually that's going to keep me from training multiple other things that fatigue that is causing my joints and my connective tissue is going to interfere with other things. Trevor, all I got to say to that is you're not using enough icy hot or wrapping tight enough. Yeah. Well, uh, somebody uh, get me a sponsorship for like uh, elbow sleeves. Yeah. yeah. Who does elbow sleeves? Who wants to sponsor me for that? Get the tightest elbow sleeves you can. Yeah. Pour icy hot in it so on on the joint so that everybody in the gym can smell you, and then you should be fine. You don't have to worry about the joint. <laughs> so I want to uh, I want to address this guy Gal's question. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that I got because it's very appropriate with what we're saying. Yeah. He asked me, "How do you actually evaluate your fatigue from each exercise? Any other way than subjective feeling and DOMS?" Um. For me and anybody that I've ever helped or worked with, the most objective thing, once I've either taught or assessed that they know how to produce effort under the guise of fantastic technique, is just dropping out of the rep range. Mm -hmm. That's how I assess my fatigue. So if I'm seeing 10 to 15 rep range and I'm seeing 15, 15, 15, you're not, you're not, you you can keep going. You're not, you're good. But if I see you go 15 and then you go nine and the 10 to 15 rep range, um, then, you know, you're done. <laughs> you're because you're, you're clearly out of the rep range. And I think that um, fatigue doesn't always also have to be this large scale thing where you're tired. You know, you can have just very specific fatigue in the target muscle itself, which is actually ideal. That's if the I goal. Know, that is yeah, the goal. Exactly. Exactly. If I know that my chest can no longer uh, provide the appropriate performance in the rep range that is required. Great. I know my chest can't, but I feel good and I move on to the next thing. That's a great thing, you know? Yeah. Um, so this is something that I stick to a lot. Uh, sometimes it's right. Sometimes it's wrong. What do I mean? Sometimes you do give up a little bit earlier than you're supposed to. And sometimes you try a little bit harder than you should, but it all washes out in the end. So um, Gal, that's the, the biggest answer that I can give to you. Um, I evaluate fatigue by rep drop-off or rep decrement. Is the word decrements? Yeah, the, the, the formal, the, the, formal the state, term, the state of being decremented. I think the formal term is fatigue index. I can't remember. I think Menno Henselman's uses that a lot in his, uh, yeah, in his training. Um, if you're, if you're experiencing a. <laughs> Significant performance decrements. <laughs> then, then it's old time. British shimmy. I don't even know what that was. I don't either. Don't do it <laughs> yeah. again. It was terrible. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely doing it again. <laughs> I don't know um, when. Um, yeah. To answer the question of like, how do we determine fatigue? Um, so a couple points is one, like I already mentioned, any kind of joint fatigue, like actual like pain in the joints. Like that should always be addressed. Some things should not necessarily hurt. Maybe when you're warming up, like you you get old, you've injured yourself a dozen times. Sometimes you got to warm up just to not hurt. So ignore the warm ups. During a working set, something realistically shouldn't be hurting your joints. If it is, then maybe that's not worth it because it's fatiguing your connective tissues in a way that will eventually have a widespread impact on the rest of your training. And that's, that's the goal that we want to avoid. When we're talking about stimulus fatigue ratio, the fatigue is that we're, we're trying to maximize stimulus 
and fatigue to the target muscle while minimizing fatigue to everything else. So like Shimmy said, having local muscular fatigue is great. That's quite literally the goal. Fatigue is a sign of stimulus. But I don't want fatigue from one exercise to be affecting another exercise that is completely separate. That makes sense. Per performance drop-off being a measure. Now, this one is interesting when I am uh, programming for clients because I always have to check effort before because sometimes the reps don't drop off due to not uh, insufficient effort as well. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I, I guess that I just wanted to throw that out there is like, first and foremost, check your effort. And then, um, you know, then if you're actually stimulating appropriately, then you will see a, a drop off. Yeah. So we have mm -hmm. some more uh, questions um, submitted by actually, is there anything else you guys wanted to touch on on that topic? No, it's really, really I, simple, man. Yeah. yeah. I think that pretty much covered it. It's like, be, go ahead. Remember that fatigue isn't something that we should run from. Yeah. Um, and, you know, understand your place in training where if you're a beginner, you probably have a lot more room for fatigue because you can't create a whole bunch. If you're advanced, you probably need to pay a little bit more attention to your fatigue. Yeah. Be honest with yourself. Yeah. Be honest yeah. with yourself. That's difficult to, to teach sometimes, but but try your best if you really are. Look, we're all meathead bodybuilders in the end. Yeah. We all have ego. It's part of it. So eventually, like every we, I think we all need to be able to check ourselves sometimes. Absolutely, I I have to all the time. I I pick a load. I'll I'll, I'll start to trying to progress something, and sometimes I watch my technique at the end of a mesocycle, and it's starting like, to oh, because I was how was that? Yeah, exactly. And you got to reset. Yeah. Uh, I did get a couple of questions. Did you get any other questions, Shimmy, or did you get anything, Dylan? No, I no, think they all got been, sent. Uh, they got sent to, to my my personal Instagram. So okay. I ended up doing Q and A's every weekend. So I guess whatever yeah. questions I had, I already answered them. Dylan, do you have anything? No, I think I, I reposted yours, so they would have gone sent to you. Okay. Okay, uh, give me a second. I did have a couple. Sure. Um, so, one I got, and I think this is an easy one, but uh, bang out, I think we'll all get it. Uh, do you think doing an average of 24,000 steps a day is too much? Well, Trevor's the right person to ask for this because Trevor averages about 25,000 steps a day. I'm uh, more like seventeen, eighteen. So funny! I'll tell you guys something funny. When I was dieting last year, um, I had my step count rising steadily throughout a diet, as you should. And once I got to maybe thirteen or fourteen thousand steps, I would say, "Oh, wow! This is this is a fair bit of activity plus six weight training sessions a week." And then I had told Trevor this, I think, and he was like, "Man." I average 18,000, 20,000 steps a day. I don't know what you're doing. And I was like, I will see myself out stage left. That's cool. There's <laughs> always, there's always a bigger fish. I, I, this is, this exactly explains how I would answer this question though. Is it too, it's too much if it is an impact on your life. If you do this and think, damn, this is a lot. If you're sitting there carving out time, like, well, I got to go walk for an hour outside so I can get my steps in. Uh, I can't relax because I'm, you know, 3,000 steps low. I got to go get those steps in. It's probably too much. If you're getting 24,000 steps, though, because you're a waiter in a busy restaurant and you're on your feet running back and forth for eight hours. One, what are you going to do about it? Quit your job? But two, you just get used to it. It's not really impacting you because it's not something that you're adding per se. It's just a part of your life. Right. And I would say I it's mean, too it, much, but you don't have a choice. So yeah. Oh yeah. And that's it. Is it, it you can only really say is it too much is if it's an additive thing. If it's just a situation you're in where you don't have a choice, what does it matter if it's too much? It's not like that's changing. So it, it's steady for tracking training at least 
I, I worked as a waiter for a while, so I would do those 18, 28K days. And I didn't, like, sometimes those days would wreck me just, like, systemically. But, like, I didn't really felt like feel like it actually impacted my, like, leg um, training. But you know what, though? Actually, I, I should probably throw in the caveat that my legs don't need that much volume. So I, I maybe if I was pushing volume on my legs, it would have been a different story. But then again, it goes into worrying about things you have control over, right? Yeah. Um, and 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 also the practicality thing. I, I love that you mentioned that, Trevor. I try to always take into consideration someone's lifestyle and ask them when I'm adjusting activity because I I've experienced that before too, where if it starts to interfere with your daily life, getting steps in, um, obviously you need to weigh this against like appetite, especially in like a dieting phase, but like you know, if it starts to really interfere with your life, then then you really got to consider the trade-off that's that's occurring there. And, and you know, from a long-term perspective, like, hey, you know, if 8K steps is difficult with your lifestyle, then maybe you should look at modifications to your diet uh, outside of specific circumstances, like maybe you're doing a competition or something like that. Um, yeah. But yeah. Um, I, I, have, uh, I have some subtle pushback on what you just said. So sure. um, if somebody says to me, for example, that if they have a, a high step count when they're dieting, and they say that it is an inconvenience on their life, I would very much be quick to remind them that a diet is a fleeting period of time. It is a snapshot and it is not your life. And you signed up for this. And sometimes you have to do things that you don't want to do. And just remember that it's temporary. And generally, raising steps is easier than cutting food. So, and most people don't want to cut food, um, especially as the diet progresses and you eat less and less. So, you know, you say to yourself, oh, okay, well, this is an inconvenience. We can always cut food, but don't complain now because you're going to complain either way. So what do you want to do? But either way, you're going to have to have a trade-off. And then down to the other part, you said when someone says in that specific instance, if uh, you program someone on a mass or on maintenance to do eight to 10,000 steps and they go, it's inconvenient on your life, you go, well, at the end, what do you want to do? I mean, you want to just sit on your butt? Like this is a health thing. Literally, it's a health thing. Eight to 10,000 right. steps. I yeah. could argue that everybody should be doing eight to 10,000 steps a day in their life. So if someone says, yeah. oh, it's too hard, like I don't really care. Too hard, Okay. You know, there's plenty of people that have big issues. It's not my fault that you're lazy. You know, if you're not getting 8,000 steps in a day, you're lazy. It's a fact. Get a hobby. You know, you're, yeah. you're, it's, it's no, not a... I agree with that. Like, there, there, there's, a, there's a certain point up to, you know, eight to 10,000. I mean, shoot, most people, 8,000 steps is maybe an hour and a half of actually walking. Yeah. Combined of everything in your day. You know? Yeah. Right. Um, right. this is, this now is, we're talking 18,000 steps sure 5,000 steps that's over, yeah, so for the person listening for the person listening if anybody hasn't heard this before 8 to 10,000 steps is what you should shoot for at a, at a minimum for baseline for health for maintenance when you're massing whatever when you're dieting 10 to 15,000 steps a day is probably the meat and potatoes that we're going to get it done and anything over 15,000 steps I get you is going to be hard is going to be annoying that is exotically high. And if you do have to go there, recognize that you should probably only go there for a shorter period of time at the end of a diet, whatever. And unless your lifestyle requires it, anything over 15,000 steps a day is unnecessary. Yes. it's it, Unless your lifestyle requires it, it's untenable to do. Um, In a and, diet, I should also say, because you're not going to really do that any other way. Yeah. And, and at the, even at the point of the diet, like, that's where you have to start having like a cost benefit of if it's worth it and how important the goal is to you, especially a goal on a set timeline is to you. Maybe you can push that timeline back and you don't have to do that. And mm -hmm. and, and maybe the, um uh, what you're saying, Shimmy, maybe the, the, the uh, 8,000 is a little too low of an example, but I will say that I, I do agree with the fact that you should have a conversation with your client about it um, before like say prescribing something like that because again i do think there are people who are limited to some degree and i do understand like an hour and a half of walking that's totally sustainable eight to ten k steps should be something that most people can execute on um, but i think they also generally meeting the client where they're at is probably something especially the clients that are are maybe not doing uh, bodybuilding or things at a competitive level um, there are definitely some like lifestyle factors that i generally just try to consider uh, a competitive mm -hmm. bodybuilder I'm generally like, hey, just do this thing and you have to get it done, basically. Yeah, a comp competitive bodybuilder, it's an entirely different scenario. And at that point, it's like, yeah, you signed up for it. 
Right. But, but I do think if you were to say, Hey, um, you have the option of doing more activity or eating less food. Most people would probably choose doing more activity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Eating less food sucks at a point. Right. Mm-hmm. Unless you're like I fresh mean, off a mess. You, you could, you could, and you could like, yeah. you, could, you could drop their calories down to 15 K and see how they like it. And then, and then they're like, Oh yeah, maybe I should do that. What's uh, the lowest calories any of you have ever got on? I know your last contest, you were like, what, 1800? Like 1800 is the lowest I got. So, so yeah, Dylan, that's not really fair. I think for you to compare to, to Trevor and I, cause you competed and Trevor and I haven't. Um, like I've been lean before, but I've not been stage lean before. Um, my calories didn't get crazy low. Oh, uh, maybe, really maybe, yeah, I know you have. Um, 2,200, nothing crazy. Uh, 2,200 with a step count of like 17 or 18,000 um, and six weight training sessions a week. Um, yeah, I think that was it. I think that's probably the lowest that I've been. Uh, lowest I've been was 1350. Yeah, I've never done that. This was years ago uh, and like 50 pounds ago. But uh, it... I think it was like Dylan. Um, Dylan, he just gave us. Day. He just gave us the the Globo Gym reference. <laughs> See that guy? That was me. Eighty yeah. years and sixty five pounds ago. Oh God, such a good movie. Just imagine Trevor zapping himself trying to eat a donut, just holding it in front of his face. You want the donut? Go ahead and have a bite. <laughs> oh, you know they're making. They're maybe making uh, a second movie, by the way. Yeah, I know. I saw they the are? I yeah, yeah, I mean it, it really t- to be if I'm really honest, I don't want them to because I, I don't want them to mess either. with greatness. There's no way they'll be able to top it. No chance. It's but gonna be like as in the nineties or like early thousands when like every movie had a direct to VHS. Exactly. But also as a diehard fan, I would love to see what they're gonna do. But I know they're gonna ruin it. I'm not saying I wouldn't watch it. I'm just saying it would suck. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Exactly. Like That's Rush what, Hour I mean, 4. At this point, Rush Hour 4, they, they, they're waiting for a script. Uh, Chris Tucker wants to do it. Jackie Chan wants to do it. They're waiting for a script. But all the Rush Hours are so good. I don't want you to do another one. It's too good as it is. Yeah. I guess there's a nostalgia aspect, as long as they don't completely ruin it. They will. That's the thing. They, That's they, the problem. They can't help it. They have to ruin it. I was thinking about that. I felt like the... I don't know how you guys like feel about Batman, but I was thinking about the trilogy that one like where they didn't actually like just ruin it uh as i felt like they sustained it decently the well christopher nolan batman. trilogy the christopher nolan trilogy i feel like they actually yeah after sustained. that they should have just stopped they should have yeah. retired yeah. it after that after the one with bane obviously which was fantastic they should yeah, have yeah. left it alone then yeah, after right, like at least for a long robert time. pattinson unnecessary i'm sorry he, okay i any batman fan um this is like a big thing um, and I'm a huge Batman fan. Just like my wedding ring is a Batman ring. Oh, really? Yeah. I love um, here, if I can, I don't know if it'll come up here. That's so sick. <laughs> um, I love it. But Robert Pattinson had no business being Bruce Wayne Batman. But if they would have made Batman Beyond with him as Terry McGinnis, that would have been amazing. That's what they should have done. They messed up. Dude, I'm not said Terry McGinnis. Terry McGinnis is the uh, character who takes over the mantle of Batman like 50 years down the line when Bruce is retired because he's too beat up. He can't be Batman anymore. It, it's, I, uh, it, first of all, it was a cartoon in the 90s. How have you not seen yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I'm actually going to go. My brother uh, has gotten really into Batman recently. I just bought him the Batman who laughs for his birthday, the oh. graphic novel. And um and uh so I so I, terrifying. I I haven't so I haven't seen much of the cartoons but I've really been wanting to so he has them all so when I go back home I'm gonna go watch all those yeah I've literally watched like the entirety of every single Batman I, cartoon I remember you telling me this movie. now yeah 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 I love it man did you get any more tra- uh, questions Trevor uh. I had like one more. I think we can grab. Give me a second. Yeah, I think it'd be a great way to close out this episode. We'll get you out of here soon. Yeah, some of them is the. 
Yeah, this is one I wanted to uh, do because I think it was pretty good. As uh, anonymous, uh, do you think it will be okay to have only lake curls for a few mesocycles to open up more uh, potential back volume during a back priority phase? I'm here for that. Yeah, I think I'm. I'm, I'm very. I'm very very here for that. I also think this from, it ties into the same thing we were talking about. Is if you're if you need more stimulus for your back, doing any kind of like heavy hinge is going to be fatigued, interferes with back training. You can maintain your hamstrings well with leg curls. Yeah. And that's going to open up more ability to train more for your back. But you don't need to maintain them. You can grow them. I mean, yeah, you can curls. grow them potentially. You can definitely grow Depending them with just with leg curls. If you needed to. Yeah. I think you can definitely still grow them with leg curls. And I think if you're doing a lot of stiff-legged deadlifting, I mean, ch chances are you're not doing any regular deadlifting or deficit or whatever. Um, when you do them right, stiff-legged deadlifting is arguably the hardest movement that your bodybuilder has in his arsenal. So for you to pull that out, I mean, it's a big fatigue uh, dropper or big oh God, recovery yeah. opener for the rest of your training, for the rest of your body, you know? So you yeah. say – Oh, it's a back specialization, but I can tell you if you're not doing any stiff legged deadlift, your your quad training is going to go better. Oh, yeah, if someone um, told me they wanted to specialize in quads, I would pull out heavy hinging. Yeah, and I also think even if your technique is really good, um, this is a hot take, but it's a it's a fact. Um, that's also one that will cause injuries and sprains and niggles and whatever for people. Even if your technique is really good, so to pull that movement out. out more than once yeah, I've, I've torn my hamstring doing stuff oh, like it does like for real for real back. yeah it's sure. just so it's a risk that's always there so to pull that movement out for a little while that's that's nice you know it's yeah. nice to not have to worry about it and and you don't even sometimes you don't even know what injury or ache or pain is lying around the corner and one day it just happens so to pull a movement out from time to time for even for a few months Especially a movement like that, I think it's I think it's fine. I definitely yeah. think it's fine. Hundred percent. Yeah, and when people are talking about like, hey, you need a you need a a hinging movement and a knee flexion movement to be able to maintain the muscle, you don't need to have both of those in. Like, you can yeah. just maintain with, uh, one with just other. one of those in, right? You don't have to for have sure. both. And it's uh, not like sure. you, it's not like you completely won't grow. If any, there's going to be some regional hypertrophy. And maybe by only doing one and not the other, you won't maximally grow, but you can still grow. Yeah. W one thing I wanted to ask, okay, so this is something I'm, ki I'm kind of dealing with. When when do you guys think it might be appropriate to just pull an exercise, like like stiff-legged deadlifts? And is there a situation where you would just completely pull something? Mm, well, I mean, I think that the layup of the answer is you completely pull something when there's uh, starting to accrue some sort of joint or connective tissue issue. Yeah. Um, that's that's the layup of the answer. But Dylan, you're smart. You would have already figured that out. You didn't need us to tell you that. So I think that a great time to pull a movement out at face value without doing any troubleshooting is two to four months. So without having any context, two to four months is probably a good idea. Another time is when you notice that your performance is starting to decrease after hitting some PRs. So it's you can't you hit. Like you, sure. rinse, you rinse the fatigue, sure. you start your mesocycle, sure, and sure, you're sure. just not really progressing. Sure. And, and why I say after PRs is the following. If you notice that you're, you're not able to hit a PR, well, the movement is going to get stale and you're just going to pull it anyway. But you can't PR forever. I mean, maybe people that are enhanced, so you guys can speak to this, you can PR for longer. But if you're someone who's natural and you're doing a movement, you're not just hitting PRs all the time unless you're a beginner or early stage intermediate. So let's say you're cumulatively you've hit uh, 10 or 20 pound PR on a stiff-legged deadlift and you've been lifting weights for five years. And now after your next deload, um, you're starting to, it doesn't feel so good. You know, at, at that point, I think you would pull it. So um, to give you a more succinct answer, once you've hit a couple of PRs and your performance starts to decrease marginally, I would just pull it. Because like I did it. I did the thing. I got the t-shirt. I know what I did here. 
I don't need to stick around and potentially like get injury or open myself up to something, you know, and I'll come yeah. revisit this in three or four months and do it again. I think you just hit the nail on the head, Jimmy, where you, you've, you've taken your progress. You see it slowing down. You see it stalling. And instead of bullheaded trying to push through it, you pull it before something bad does happen. Not saying something bad will happen, but it can. And if the progress is already slowing down anyway, it's probably time for a break because it's probably been four or five, six months. Yeah. Or not. Or it hasn't been. Right. Maybe it's yeah. been two months, but Maybe, yeah, at the same well, time. It's been a, a little bit of training time, regardless. And you know, novelty is a thing and it is a variation is a good thing and it's a viable thing as long as it's not abused. I don't know why I just thought of this weird mm -hmm. analogy where like novelty would be like you're at the club and you think this girl that you're talking to is like super attractive and then it so that's masking the like hey maybe this isn't like uh like like if you were determining uh if an exercise is appropriate and you're going to keep it in for a mesocycle, cycle novelty could potentially mask that I feel like um because you're like oh I got really sore from it whatever and I feel like if you were to like okay you turn on the lights on the, the club come on like mesocycle two or three and you realize, oh shit, that actually wasn't a great movement for me. I don't know if that even has any. Uh, it does. Uh, it does. Yeah, that yeah. makes so sense. Like, that, that, that's got some legs. That, yeah, that's got some legs. Seriously, it's good. Yeah. 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 Um, mm -hmm. and, yeah. And the reason I was asking is just because I'm like kind of sad. Like I, 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 I obviously I know this to some extent, and and I think it's helpful for people to hear. But I also like I've been keep trying to keep stiff like a deadlifts in, and like you know do a pre exhaust and see if I can keep them in. But it's just like they're so fatiguing at this point and uh i am kind of incurring certain like little oh here and there. wait a minute another answer that was an obvious layup that we didn't tell you trevor and i both didn't didn't answer this is when you notice that you have to do too much volume for it to that be was what i was literally just about to say i don't know yeah, why we didn't yeah. mention that so with a stiff legged deadlift's a great example usually you start it and uh mess cycle one if you haven't done it for a while one or two sets is what you're sticking with for a week two weeks three weeks cool then one to two sets becomes two to three maybe it becomes three to four once you get to a point where you're doing let's say five sets of stiff legged deadlifts most people never get there but if you do get yeah. there it's too much or if you're starting at week one and you already have to do let's say three or four sets week one um Probably not great. Probably you yeah. could, your you're, time could be you're better spent. Mess cycle with three or four sets. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's where just pulling it out and bringing something else for novelty is worth it, just because it's going to bring the volume needs down. Because the fatigue from four sets of stiff legged deadlifts, Jesus, you'll get through one week before you have performance segments and something. <laughs> Or you just won't want to do it. Yeah, that yeah, that too. Honestly, I've 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 been there. It's like I don't want to do this anymore. That's I. This is kind of a, a mid, like psychological fatigue. Not wanting to do it is a big thing. So real. I, I get that only when you're only yeah, only when you're only when you're um intermediate or advanced or when you have um a really good gauge of technique and effort and yeah, stuff because yeah, psychological for sure. fatigue for the other people don't matter but. For people like yeah, us, right. for example, when for I don't want to, when I don't want to do something, a lot of times it's usually a really good indicator that I should do it. Yeah, but I that, that I don't take most presence. people's. Yeah, I don't take my clients that I work with or anyone that asks me. I usually don't take that to the bank. But yeah. like, let's say if Trevor and I were training together, and he's like, "Dude, I'm just not into doing these stiff legged deadlifts." I would probably not argue with him. Probably like, yeah. "All right, cool, don't do it." Yeah. 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 And, and one other considering factors, um, I, I mean, you guys mentioned this earlier, but I think like for, for me, for syphilis and, and really strong lifters, the stimulus to time ratio is like, it takes so long in my workout. Huge, bro. Get, yeah. That cannot be understated. Yeah, yeah. People, people overlook it all the time. And that's a whole thing with like, you know, unilateral stuff and whatnot as well. Like, no. sure, they can be great, but God, yeah. if you're going to do an entire workout that's all unilateral, Jesus Christ, that's going to take you forever. Yeah. Yeah, I just don't. I don't got time for that. Like Shimmy said, ain't nobody got time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. Okay, don't nobody know stew like I do. No one. Trevor, you never watched The Hangover, so you don't understand. I've never that. watched The Hangover. You're right. I never I've never seen Hangover okay. in so long. You've never watched a lot of anime though, so I don't really want to hear. I don't like anime. Okay, well, that's your loss. 
No, because you also like comedy movies. You just don't. You just haven't I watched like it. comedy movies, but I don't like all the stupid comedy you do. You have a the. <laughs> you like SpongeBob, don't you? No, I don't. Never watch Nickelodeon growing up. Oh my god! I just gained some respect for you. Really? Oh really? <laughs> my childhood, right there. Yeah, I didn't know I where that was. I, I thought I didn't know where that was going. I thought Trevor was gonna be like, "Yeah, you really are a Martian. You don't make any sense." But that's good. Yeah, I did. I was a Cartoon Network person. The Cartoon Network was clearly better. I don't know. I just never watched it. I never watched Nickelodeon. Um, After the nineties, when they got rid of like Rugrats, Nickelodeon was not good. Seen The Hangover or no? I've seen The Hangover. It's just been a minute. Have you seen all of them? Second and third one. Mm-hmm. I saw the first the most times, so that's what I I, I remember. Yeah, bro, you got to rewatch them. You you got to rewatch them. It's like mandatory. You got to rewatch them. I, I will so actually because I think I have a different perspective now, and I think I would find them even more funny because I feel like I just they're the best, man. Alan is life. Alan is eternal. He's a god. Alan is Alan Zach. Yes. Zach okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Cool. I'll check those out. He's hey, amazing. Watched, walks um, into Caesar. You... Walks into Caesar Palace. He's just like. Is your hotel pager friendly? I'm not getting a SIG on my beeper. I remember that. It's amazing. Amazing. Um, the the what's the documentary about the bodybuilder couple? Have you guys heard about that? No, but I want to watch that. Maddie no. and I, are, I think we might watch it tonight. Um it's what is it? the couple's name. I can't remember, but I remember it, it's like, dude, it's a wild story. Uh go yeah. it's I think it's on Netflix, right? Yeah. This, I think Nick Strength and Power did a, a story about it a long time ago, and I had watched. I it. Who are they? Who are the people? God, for the life of me, I can't remember. They who, were. Who the I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you, Shimmy. Yeah, but they I were really like professional like... bodybuilders that like competed, but then like got into drugs, and then I think uh, one of them they were one high on meth, and like one of them killed the other, and it's just like this yeah. huge scandal. They tried to cover it up, like and went it's to jail. A, it's crazy. I, I want to watch it. Yeah, yeah. I never heard of it. Yeah, check it out. The documentary, I think, just came out. Honestly, sounds too dark for me. <laughs> Maybe there's I'm the angel. I I am the angelic one. Okay, you are. You're like I have yes. to watch that stuff. I have to watch that stuff because my girlfriend is in is doing forensic pathology. So like, all she wants to watch is like murder documentaries all day. Well, forensic I mean, I'm just saying, like, I, your girlfriend seems super cool, but. It's on brand. She also has all these spiders, listens to emo music. Yeah. No, oh, yeah. I mean, it's on brand. Like, our house is decorated with skeletons. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Dylan, basically what we're saying is don't bring your girl around Trevor. This is this is what we're saying. <laughs> I mean, I think my wife with her would like run off together. Yes. I yes. told Aaron and Dylan, that she and then and then Dylan like, would go. be alone. Then then Dylan would be alone. So ergo, me Dylan, and Dylan would just her. go train yeah, together. Exactly. We just go work out. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> go lift right. the body like which, perfect, which perfect. you guys do already, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> perfect scenario. I love it. All right. We'll let you guys get out of here. It was right. a good podcast. Yeah, it was fun. Um, well, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll talk about the next time we meet up. But um, uh, as always, I'll link all their stuff down below. And if you like the podcast, please uh, subscribe and share it as well because we appreciate that. Just like and send us subscribe. awesome questions, guys. We need yes. we do this for you. So we need good questions. So therefore yes. we give the good answers. If or else we're just enough gonna... questions, we can do an entire podcast on QA. Yeah, we can probably do that. We can probably make that happen. If not, then we'll just ramble and we because you can see we're freakishly good at that. So yes. it's okay. Yeah, yeah. Most definitely. All right. You guys have a good night, okay? Cool. Talk to you guys later. <laughs>